March 14th, 2023. We're in Masechet Beta and Daf Yod Aleph Amud Aleph. We're in the wide lines at the Mishnah. So if you count down seven lines in the wide lines toward the end of the line where it says Matnitin. So the Mishnah continues us on these uh, debates, these uh, disputes between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel with regards to permitted or prohibited activities and uh, usages on Yom Tov. Beit Shammai Omrim, En notlin et ha'eli lekasev alav basar. There's a dispute over here, and we saw this mentioned in the Gemara already on Daf Yod, about usage of the Eli. Eli, uh, we translate it as a pestle, right? Eli is a uh, strong utensil which would be used in order to crush. What sort of things would it be crushing? Crushing and grinding wheat of some sort. You're Instead of using it for its normal usage, which would be to crush wheat, uh, you're using it to, um, to use its back, so to speak. Instead of pressing it down, you're placing it, you're placing it down and you're putting meat on top of it in order to slice and to crush the bones and, and meat uh, on top of it. Uh, so that's the circumstance. Again, well, uh, you're, not using, you're certainly not using it to chop. It doesn't have a sharp blade. It's made out of wood. It's a strong piece of wood, for argument's sake, right? Uh, so you're not using it to chop. You're using it as a chopping board. But that's it's not primary or normal usage. It's normal usage is to press down in order to crush and to grind wheat. Uh, in such a circumstance, we saw this already mentioned on Daf Yod Amud Aleph, uh, it's what we refer to as a kelishe melachton le'isur. It's a keli, it's a utensil, which generally speaking, its purpose is for isur, is for prohibited activities. You're not allowed to be tohen on Shabbat or Yom Tov. You're not allowed to be grinding, pushing that into the wheat. But I'm not using it for that. I'm using it for something altogether different. What's the halachic status of this item to use it for something else? Well, we have a mahluk between Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. Simple interpretation of Beit Hillel is uh, that they're permitting because of what we call Simhat Yom Tov, the joyfulness of the day. We want the person, we want you and me to be able to enjoy the meat. And as a result, we're going to permit even circumstances that maybe would have been rabbinically questionable. The Gemara, however, if you recall, and Dafyod a little bit adjusted this and explained that even if it wasn't Simhat Yom Tov, generally speaking, we have a principle which is under dispute, but it might be that Beit Hillel accepts it, and that is that when you have a keli shemelachto isur, when you have a utensil specifically prohibited, that domain called mukseh, of, uh, because of its general um, usage, which is isur, if it's v'sorech mekomo or sorech gufo, it's permitted. Which means, say, if you're just moving it out of the way, that would be permitted. It's generally speaking used for something that's asur, but you need its place, you're allowed to move it. Alternatively, sorech gufo, that's our circumstance. You want to use the item, not for its usage, but you want to use the back of the item. That perhaps is permitted. All right, so those are the general approaches with regards to Beit Hillel on this matter. Again, either Beit Hillel permits specifically and only because it's Simhat Yom Tov. Alternatively, it's a general principle of Keli Shemelachto Le'isur. And when you're dealing with the utensil, which is purposed for prohibited activity, even though you can't use it for that, even though you can't just heke move it around, you can move it around for its purposes of its place, or to use the item in a different way, uh, meaning on top of it. Uh, the last thing that should be entered into this conversation is Tosafot, uh, the second Tosafot on the left-hand side, of course. And Tosafot is questioning how do we explain the opinion of Bet Shammai? 
Bet Shammai, where do they fall out on all of this? Tosafot therefore suggests that it's a little bit more complicated than we even already suggested. We talked about Keli Shemalachtoli Isu. We talked about Simchat Yom Tov. Tosafot points out that this mind as well, they're basing themselves in Gemara Masechet Shabbat, enter into, and we don't uh, plan on really getting deep into this, at least not right now, into another domain of another type of mukseh. So we've talked about mukseh because it's something that wasn't mukhan, it wasn't uh, prepared. We've now talked about something that may have been prepared, but it's li'isur. There's something else, it's called keli, which is asur mehamat hisaron kis, which means to say, it's not per se, it's not per se, or only because of the prohibited activities that are, this utensil is used for, it's more than that. It's that this utensil is so valuable that you wouldn't move it for other purposes. It's that you wouldn't use it under any circumstances for all intents and purposes for any other reason. Why? Because it has such a high value. It's very expensive. Of course, somewhat subjective, but we try to objectify that as much as possible. That's the circumstance with this Eli. With this pestle, suggests Tosafot, it shouldn't, according to Beit Shammai, be permitted even for sorech gufo, is the words we use, even for the back of it, and you're just using it as a chopping block, can't do so. Why not? It's asur mehamat hisaron kis. It's something which is of such high value, you're not allowed to even use it in such a fashion. Again, this gets into a whole world, a whole discussion of mukseh matters, uh, but it's already important to at least uh, introduce the concepts. It means that Beit Shammai would be sticking to their guns with the general principle of something which is asur mehamat hisaron kis, if it's a utensil which is prohibited because of its value and nature of its usage for other matters, for prohibited matters, uh, whereas Beit Hillel say maybe because of Simhat Yom Tov we could be more light, lenient over here. It's one of one of the sources. No, there's a lot more. Masechet Shabbat has has full discussion, well, close to full discussion. Candle for light because you may do other things. It seems like if you're using it for this, maybe by accident. A little bit different uh, over there. Over here, we don't have a fear per se. You see, over there, the fear is if you're going to tilt it, you're going to adjust it. I mean, really, what are you going to do? Because you're using it to chop meat on, now you're going to say it's permitted to press. Uh, the wheat, well, we're not going that far. Uh, apparently, we're not going that far. But it's an interesting. No, I mean it. It's an interesting perspective. Uh, we're not going that far. These are the general principles and directions on this matter. I imagine the reason. I imagine the reason is because you're taking it out. It's not even in the uh, mortar. Okay. Regardless, regardless, that's what we have over here. Bet again in notlinet Next case, and we saw this one as well already. It's prohibited, it's asur on Yom Tov, certainly on Shabbat, to place if you were to have already slaughtered an animal. It needed to be, in other words, even according to the lenient opinion, you slaughtered this animal on the holiday for usage on the holiday, but you have the skin which is left over. You don't want to lose the skin, you deal with hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars of value. You needed the meat, you couldn't refrigerate or freeze the meat beforehand, let's say, and in turn you needed to slaughter this on the holiday, but what are you going to do? It's a tremendous loss, the fact that now the or is going to be holech le'ibud, you need to throw it out. So instead you say to yourself, I'll find a way to easily preserve it, I won't do the full preservation uh, process, I won't salt it, I won't begin the full true tanning process of maintaining the value and the status of the skin, but I'll begin it, I'll do something uh, quasi-ibud. Now on Shabbat again, 
and Yom Tov, Ibud HaOr, if you're tanning, if you're going through the process of working on the skin in order to preserve it, in order to make it uh, something that's durable, that's fully prohibited from the Torah. Over here, you're not fully going through that, you're not doing the normal activities, you're doing something which is a derivative of sorts at best. And so you skin the animal after slaughtering it and you place it down on the floor. And Lifneha Dorsan, in a place where people are going to trample it. Ironically, that's what you're interested in. At the very least, you'll be able to get the process going and not lose the skin. If the skin is not, is not touched and moved constantly in the initial stages after off the body of the animal, it's going to shrivel up, it's going to be spoiled, it's going to be ruined. So you're interested in people walking on it. Now, the people walking on it don't per se have that in mind, but your action in placing it there, not so kosher. Say, Bet Shammai, in you're not allowed to place it down for people to walk upon. Not only that, if it's down on the floor, you can't even pick it up. Unless it has, at the very least, a kazayit, a measurement of flesh on it. The fact that it has a measurement of flesh on it, that makes it already something that's susceptible, that's appropriate to be eaten. And of course, things that in Yom Tov are going to be eaten are permitted. You don't have mukse, So as a result, you can move it around as a result of the kazayit. But again, even if it has kazayit basar, you can't place it on the ground. If it doesn't have kazayit basar on it, you can't pick it up even to move it somewhere else. Has kazayit basar, at the very least you could pick it up. That's Bet Shammai's stringent opinion with regards to this or the skin, the leather of an animal. Ubetilel, matirin. Betilel are permitting in each of these, both of those situations, both to place it on the floor, even if it has no kazayat basar, as well as to move it, even if it, uh, excuse me, even has kazayat basar, as well as to move it, even if it doesn't have kazayat basar. What's the reason, the rationale for betilel? Simhat Yom Tov again, if we don't permit this, which are only rabbinic violations, not to say we want to be light on those, a person won't slaughter and a person won't enjoy Yom Tov. It's the skin which comes as a result of which comes as a result of slaughtering. I won't slaughter in order to eat if I'm going to lose the skin. It's not worth it for me a $500 steak. It's worth it for me if I could hold on to that skin and use that skin and then uh, I, I ate the steak. But if I lost the skin as a result, which is a financial loss, the fear is people won't value Yom Tov that much. Mishum simhat Yom Tov we permit. I says the Gemara, let's deal with this first case first. Uh, first case first. What's the first case? The Eli. That, um, that pestle, the, uh, the wooden beam-like item or wooden utensil, which normally would be used for pressing, and you're using it to cut upon, like a chopping block of sorts, uh, the meat. Tana vishavin. The Baraita begins and it says, but they are together. They agree. Who's they? Of course, Bet Shamayim Bet Shim katsav alav basar she'asur letaltelo. As the statement over here is that if you already used the eli, you already used it to chop the meat upon, you're no longer allowed to um, move that uh, pestle. Why would you be able to use, move it? The only reason you were allowed to use it, according to Beit Hillel at the very least, was because you're doing it for the purpose of Yom Tov. At this point, there's no purpose of Yom Tov, you're just moving it around. You can't use it for its express purpose, and that is to be crushing. You can't use it for anything else. So what are you doing with this? Even for betilel, if you already did so, you can't any longer. On Yom Tov. You already chopped the meat. The meat is done. So you have no more 
What am I going to do with it? Don't touch it. What Even according to Betty Lev. What if you need the space? You need the space, you need the space. That's, uh, then it would be Tzorich Nekomo. That would be permitted. I don't know why you'd be moving it otherwise, but you can't. It's no longer... The meat is fine. The meat's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's it's fine. Yeah, I say if it's for Sorech Mekomo, it should be permitted. What if it's going to What's going to I don't know. I don't know. I Can't do so. Can't do so. Can't do so. That's the statement. Unless you need the space. Amara. It gets it. That's uh, that's that's where a larger conversation about this is as well. Amarabai, because there's a heter in the moment. There's no heter afterwards. Amarabaye, mahloket be'eli aval betabara garme divreha kol mutar. So Abaye's statement now goes like this. It seems like a very simple statement. It says, Bechamayim betilil dispute whether you're allowed to chop, whether you're allowed to cut the bones and meat on top of the eli, on top of the pestle, which is generally speaking used for other matters which are prohibited. Keli shemelachto le'isur. However, if you're dealing with what's called a tabara garme, the word garme means bones, Tabara means to crush, a bone crusher of sorts. In other words, what you're dealing with is something which is actually a crushing block, a block which you cut the meat and bones on. Oh, so that even Bechamai permits. Of course they permit. What was the Isur in that circumstance? Not a Keli Shemelachto, the Isur. Okay, but that's the statement. We're going to challenge in a moment what he's coming to teach us, but let me repeat it to you. Abaye says, listen, Bechamai and Betilil disagree in the case of the Eli, the pestle. In our circumstance, on, a, on an actual block, which is used for cutting, for crushing, in a permitted way, the bones and the meat, Oh, so that's mutar peshita, says the Gemara. This is simple. Of course, Bet Shammai would agree. Eli tenan. The Mishnah said the word Eli. It said a pestle. I mean, you wouldn't even make this mistake. I mean, what, what sort of logic would you have to extend this? Mahutetema explains the Gemara for Abaye. What you perhaps would have said is, Huhadin da filutabraga mename. Uh, maybe huhadin, uh, it extends as well even to the chopping block. What would the logic be? Logic would be it's too much effort on Yom Tov, it's an unnecessary effort on Yom Tov, something along those lines. But our Mishnah doesn't say those words. The Mishnah just says, you would have said perhaps the only reason our Mishnah mentions Eli, but by extension it's also the Tabara Garme, is because Bet Hilel permit even on an Eli, where you would have said it's Asur, because it's Tabar Le'isur, it's Keli Shemelachto Le'isur, its purpose, generally speaking, is expressedly for prohibited activity on the holiday. Bet Hilel say even that's permitted. But by extension, Bet Shammai would say that a Tabara Gameh was Asur, which means, how could Bet Shammai say that? Has to be, has, yeah, I say, has to be something along, has to be something along the lines of too much effort. 
But the Beit Shammai would say, it's too much effort, it's an unnecessary effort. Uh, you don't need to. You don't need to do that much. Something along those lines. Listen, lemaaseh abaye says it's mutai. Ikade amre amar abaye lanitzrachai ela afilu tabara garme hadati. Alternatively, what Abaye really was talking about was a situation of tabara garme hadati. Hadati in Aramaic often we switch a taf with a shin hadash. We're dealing with a new chopping block. Oh, a new chopping block. Now I understand the logic. Maybe why you would have believed that Beit Shammai would be stringent. The way it used to work, I know you're all going to tell me somehow this is still the reality, but when you had new utensils, you needed to condition them, work them in carefully and at the beginning because they were fragile. The pieces were still not fully together, whether it was wood or metal, whatever it was. If you used it in an aggressive way at the beginning, it would fall apart. That we certainly do today. We're more careful at the beginning and usage of things. But apparently, again, maybe you're going to tell me this is still the reality in certain things. There was specifically fears that at the beginning of it, it wasn't fully, finely greased, so to speak. The pieces were not fully pieced together. It hadn't yet been conditioned. You know, in Hilchot Shabbat, for example, we see over there, it's talking about earthenware. I understand. It's easier for me to understand. In earthenware, the Gemara, in clay, the Gemara talks about if you use it in the initial usages with hot water in it, you're kind of hardening it. There, I understand. Before it was hardened, it's a lot more fragile. Over here, I don't know, maybe you've pieced together different pieces of, of wood and they're kind of wedged one into the other in the initial usages. Regardless, the point is in the initial usages, it's more dangerous to be using with regards to its fragility. It'll fall apart easier. As a result, says the Gemara, if you're dealing with a new chopping block once upon a time, you could have imagined that Beit Shammai would say, let's be stringent even over there. One second, it's a chopping block. It's mutar on Yom Tov. It's tirhad, achilak with tirhad. No, but it's new. It's new. You might walk into your kitchen and say, you know something, I'm not interested in getting involved in this right now. Let's leave it, let it age a little bit before I use it. Which means you'll end up moving this heavy item out onto your countertop, into your courtyard, wherever you're doing this chopping, and then change your mind about it. We don't want that happening on the holiday. Maybe Beit Shammai would forbid in a situation where it's new, using it on the holiday because of Dilma Mimlich are the words we're going to see in the Gemara. Maybe you'll change your mind and in turn you exerted yourself unnecessarily on the holiday. Again, not going to be Muqsim Hamat Hisaron Kis. Apparently not. Apparently not. Even Beit Shammai are permitting. Amara Bayel Lanitzrecha Ela Filotabara Garme Hadati. Mahu de Tema Mimlich Vela Tabar Allah. Maybe we shouldn't permit, even according to, not even, according to Beit Shammai, the usage of this Tabara Garme Hadati, the new chopping block. Why? Because Dilma, maybe Mimlich, you'll change your mind. Vela Tabar you won't end up using it, which means it'll emerge that you. You had an unnecessary exertion of energy on holiday. Kamash ma'lan. The hidush is that it's mutah. All right, so effectively, what have we arrived at here in the Gemara? We have the Mishnah. The Mishnah has a mahluk a dispute between Bet Shammai and Bet Hillel about the ilin, about using the pestle, not, of course, for crushing, but for cutting up on top of it. The Gemara Abaye then says that when I'm dealing with a chopping block, a tabara garmen, actual one, permitted even according to Bet Shammai. That's simple. Maybe not. Alternatively, Abaye was never talking about just a chopping block. That is simple. 
Talking about a new chopping block. What would you maybe have feared? Here's where we're getting up to our next segment. What you would have feared, Beit Shammai, is that the person will change their mind. Don't permit them in a situation where we can appraise, we can determine. You know, there's a 50-50 chance the guy might turn around over here. Then it's not permitted. Says the Gemara, but Beit Shammai do get nervous about those types of situations. Oh, what do you mean? Says the Gemara, Beit It's much less, listen, what we're going, you are, you are, you are 100% correct in saying that we have to deal with each case individually and determine and appraise and that you and I might see things differently than the rabbis then because human beings might be different now than then. But that one I can answer. And the Gemara will do exactly what you're talking about. The Gemara will break up. These cases are like that, and those cases. It all gets into the psychology of human beings once upon a time. But in terms of slaughtering meat, it's easy both today, but specifically back then. You slaughtered the meat, and the meat is in front of you. You're going to leave it out over the holiday? That's a loss of meat. There was no refrigeration. I got you, but I'm telling I'm tell, 100%. But the changing mind is going to need to go based on probability. We're not going to just be all set because you might change your mind. You're not allowed to do anything on holiday because you might change your mind. Anything that's sort of hook in there, fish. So we're going to. That's right. That's, that's, that's the parallel. I know it's, it's a new item today, and it's got a manual. I brought it out. I'm not interested. Back then, it might break by using it in its initial usages. But the Gemara says, all right, let's compare this to other cases where they might be similar. Again, means to change your mind, means to rethink it. So is it really so that Beit is not nervous? You just told me, Abaye, that even on the new chopping block, it's permitted, and we don't fear that the person will change their mind. Bet Shammai, is that really their opinion? Vahatanya, don't we have a beraita which tells us that Bet Shammai say that on the holiday the following halacha is, is so? Bet Shammai omrim, en molechin tabach vesakin esel behema, velo behema esel tabach vesakin. What you're not permitted to do on the holiday is to bring an animal to a slaughterer and his knife, nor the slaughterer and his knife to the animal. The fear is before the slaughtering, Jared, the person will change their mind. So you went down and you found the butcher. You walked across town, you brought the butcher across town with his knife and he's carrying it. Or alternatively, you brought the animal all the way across town to the butcher. Uh, not too across long. Town, of course it's not good. It's different. It's across town. I'm carrying my knife from my house across town. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. All right. I see the Gemara is going to give us similar approaches. I told you. You're right. You're on the right angle already in saying we can't equate all situations. I'm with you. Uh, all right, we need to get there. Betilel says, now one second. You're going to tell me I can't do that? Nobody's going to be eating meat on the holiday. Yeah, haram. We don't want such a situation. A smaller Eli and Machtesh, actual pestle and mortar here, I think we're dealing with. It's a small little utensil in which you put a spice and you would be crushing it in it. That would be permitted on the holiday. However, maybe you'll change your mind for one reason or another. And as a result, we don't allow for the movement of these things one to the other if it's not prepared like that before. And because we fear again, says Beit Shammai, you're going to change your mind. Beit Hillel says, no, no, no. Then people aren't going to eat food because they're not going to have the proper spices and it's going to mess up the holiday. What's that? Maybe the movement, where you're keeping it, to bring it to the place. It's more, it's more the bringing to the place. If it's already on your countertop, no problem. 
If it's the movement, that's what we're talking about, the molichin. You want measurements on where Beit Shammai says from where to where is, is it considered movement? I don't know, because ultimately speaking, we don't follow Beit Shammai, so I don't get too nervous about that, but apparently Beit Shammai says a certain energy, a certain effort is dangerous over here. Um, says the Gemara, like, Jared, oh, one second, like this now, uh, one second. Yeah, means you're comparing apples and oranges. Our case that we began dealing with was the chopping block. Maybe you shouldn't use the new chopping block because you'll change your mind. Okay, keep that on the side. Uh, and we permit it. But Bet Shammai says in two cases, both the animal to be slaughtered and the spices to be crushed, uh, we say maybe you'll change your mind. Don't compare these. These aren't the same. The chopping block is more lenient. It's less prone to a person changing their mind. Why so? Bishlama, it's understood behema by an animal ateli imluche. A person might change their mind. They might reconsider. De amre, de amar, the person will say to themselves, nishbak, let's leave. Hai behema kehusha, umayetina behema ahariti. Nishbak, let's leave. Hai means this. Behema means an animal, of course. Kehusha means skinny. This skinny animal, ah, look, I thought this animal was better looking. As I was walking to you, Mr. Butcher, I realized there's much nicer animals. I changed my mind. Alternatively, you bring the butcher. You invited him, please come to my house. I want to slaughter. He could show us up and say, you know, I was thinking, ah, this is too skinny. I want to fatten it up a little. Umayetina, and I want to bring instead behema ahariti, a different animal. All right, that's, a, that's prone to happen, that a person will change their mind in the context of which animal, keep in mind, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars at stake, which animal you're slaughtering, which animal you're now losing the potential in the future to grow it fatter and better, that someone might change their mind. Uh, you'd want an an, a different animal, which is fatter than the one you brought. So too when you're making a dish, you might say about the spices, you might change your mind, you might reconsider. You'll say, let's leave aside, hi, this, this dish which I was preparing. She says maybe you were preparing some meat and, uh, and onions. You need good spices with meat and onions. But it's a hassle. The ba'ayat havlin, it needs spicing. Okay, you brought out the pestle and mortar, you have it on the counter, you're about to, you know something? It's as my wife would say in Yiddish, it's a pachka. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a whole, she doesn't speak Yiddish, but her mother said that word. Anyways, that's too much. I'm not, I don't know what Syrians say. It's too much. I'm not going to do that. I'd rather do the easier thing. I'll make some uh, vegetable broth instead or something like that. Mayetina hariti. And I'll bring something else, an easier process. In each of those two cases, the animal for the fatter and skinnier, the food for the one which needs the spicing, the one that doesn't, we have a fear, say, Beit Shammai, that you're going to change your mind. Don't get involved in the first place. Pro- prohibited, because we fear you will change your mind. However, and I'll bring a hariti, a different um, food, which doesn't need the same type of spicing. Hacha. Our case, the chopping block, what would you say? What are we fearful that the guy is going to change his mind about? He's going to change his mind and he's not going to cut the meat on it? 
Once you already slaughtered, you see, Jared, it goes in the opposite direction of your assumption. Once you already slaughtered, he's got to crush the meat and the meat. He needs it. He's not. There's no refrigeration. There's no freezer. He's not going to change his mind. So effectively, then, what the Gemara did again in concluding this was it raised a question, a doubt, a contradiction in Beit Shammai. Do we have? Maybe you're going to be mimlich, change your mind. And the Gemara distinguished. We go based on the situation. What's the mindset of the person? What's the circumstance? And I'm not too. Uh, hard to uh, put your head in the eyes of the hachamim over here. More likely, less likely. That's it. And could you make the claim that the reality oh, yeah. changed or whatever? Oh, yeah. Of course, but I understand the reality here yeah, in the time of the Gemara. According to Beit Shemai, we're permitting. Beit Hillel say permitted because Beit Hillel says if we don't allow you to do that, you say, ah, okay, I can't bring him to me. I have to have it prepared in advance. Forget it. I'm not going to have any meat on the holiday. Uh, we're going to go uh, vegan this holiday. Oh, we don't want you necessarily vegan on the holiday. I'm not, not that vegan's no, bad. You know, so we want this hot yom tov. What's that? Slaughter is permitted on yom tov. Yeah. Yeah, we need, we need meat on yom tov. And once upon a time, it's the only way. I mean, you know, even today, if... If you have someone who could do it, and whatever. Says the Gemara onward. Um, we move onward in the Mishnah. If you recall, there was a dispute between Bet and Bet about the leather, the skin of the animal. Bet said, you can't put it and Bet said, you could put it in that trampling area. The Gemara over there was specifically nervous about your usage, and the Gemara says, but it could be used for other matters. It didn't raise Marit Ayin in this context. Um, you wouldn't have that sort of issue anyway. In other words, it has different usages regardless. It's the same, it's the exact same case. What was dealt with over there stands true over here. Here we're just, uh, you know, uh, skinning it down, no pun intended, uh, you know, getting closer to the core issue. Tana says the Gemara, we cite a Beraita, Vishavin. Both Bet Shammai and Bet but even Bet Shammai, agree, Shemolchina ala basar lisli. What you're allowed to do is the following. You see, when animals were slaughtered, are slaughtered, they need to then be salted. Why do they need to be salted? In order to remove the blood. That's, that's the halakha. That's the way the Torah tells us. That's the way the rabbis explain it to us as well. However, if the animal is not going to be afterwards cooked, but rather roasted, it either needs no salting or a minimal amount of salting. That's the halacha. It's a mahloket on our page. Tosafot has one opinion and elsewhere. Rashi has another. It's a mahloket la halacha. When the meat is going to be um, roasted, because of the fire which will draw the blood from it, does it need any salting? Uh, does it need just a little amount of salting, irrespective of how much it needs? Apparently, even if you, f- you felt, even if the opinion, al is it doesn't need, you're still going to put some salt. You still want to affect it in the cooking process, in the draining of the blood, a little bit. But that's the critical point. When you're going to be roasting sali, it's a minimal amount of salt. Okay, so the situation is such that the leather, the skin, again, I'm interested in it being preserved. Can I leave it on the floor for people to walk on or not? Can I put salt all over it in order to preserve it? Certainly not. Can I put salt if I slaughtered an animal and now I'm salting the animal on top of it? I'm not sure. Can I put salt when it's a minimal amount of salt because I'm taking that animal in order to roast it? Bet Shammai and Bet both agree you can. Why so? 
that doesn't have the wrong effect, that doesn't have the wrong optics. In that situation, how much salt is falling down? It's going to help it a little bit? Okay, shalom al Yisrael, have a good time salting it. So that's, that's effectively what you're doing over here. But Beit Shammai, you get nervous. If you're going to do it's too much amount of salt, it's the same thing as it's on the floor and you're walking on it. Do me a favor. You're really using it as a table or it's a sketch you're using it as a table? But if it's really what you're doing, uh, uh, but it's apparently not what you're doing. You have a table. You're doing that. That's right. So says the Gemara, but if it's a minimal amount, this Shavin, they agree, even Beit Shammai agrees, Shemulchin alav basar lisli. Amar lo shanu lisli. Let me remind you, let me explain to you what we just read. It's only permitted according to Beit Shammai if it's going to be lisli, a minimal amount of the salt. If it's likdera, if it's going to be cooked, that would be prohibited according to Beit Shammai. Just like the trampling was prohibited. Peshita, says the Gemara, this is simple. Abaye, again, are you teaching me something novel? Lisli tenan, the Beraita said explicitly, you're allowed to salt on it if it's the minimal amount, meaning because you're going to be roasting it. Hakamashma'lan, the Hidush of Abaye is Litsli ke'en kedera asur. If it's for roasting, but you're going to be salting it as if you were cooking it, that would be prohibited. In other words, Becha might draw a very careful but, uh, for, but, but important line. They say it depends on how much salt you're going to be dropping onto this. If it's the salting which is going to be a minimal amount, litzli, that's permitted, that's far removed from the sh- trampling upon it. What's that? The hide. This is all about what's going on with the hide with regards to what we call ibud ha'or. Effectively, then, what we what we addressed in our Gemara is the Mishnah, Mahlok Bet Shemaim Bet We dealt with the first issue, the Eli. We're in the midst of dealing with the Or Le Dorsan, but we moved it a little bit to the side to extend it to what about an assaulting situation? Could there be? Will there be? And the answer is yes, there'll be a situation where Bet Shemaim could permit if it's like that minimal amount that it's not really ibud. It is a little bit ibud, but not to the extent that even Bet Shemaim would forbid. Baruch Amen, amen, amen. Bechalam, shalom, la sakadosh,